0: Let's go live with Jack Kelly. Welcome to the one-of-a-kind LinkedIn live show that will help you with your job search and advancing your career. We will bring in educated career experts who will share their insights and give you inside tips on how to be successful in your job search. Now, let's get into today's show with your host, Jack Kelly. Okay. All right. So, Brent or Suga, that got it right, right? Brent, we are live. Welcome to Let's Go Live with Jack Kelly. And you're welcome. And hey, you know what, let's just jump right into it. Brent, do you want to just tell a bit about who you are and what you do and why you're such an amazing recruiter? Sure. So uh, Brent Orsuga, the company is
1: Pinnacle Growth Advisors based out in Scottsdale, Arizona. But we work all over the country, even up in Canada. Uh, For ourselves, everything that we do is very, very niche specific. So Personally, for the past 12 years, everything that I've done is in the freight and logistics industry, which, as we know, is really kind of blown up over the last year. Uh, But we place candidates uh, in various roles, whether it be sales, operations, building branches, getting into technology side of things. Uh, But we place literally hundreds of people a year. So I feel very, uh, you know, well-established to be able to have this conversation because of stuff that we see on the streets every day.
0: Well, that's great. You know, first thing, uh, you know, don't rub it in that you're in Arizona and I'm here in New Jersey and I'm looking out the window and there's snow on there. Now we're going to get, we probably have about 17 inches in the last week or so, and we're going to get another like eight inches this week. So it is cold and nasty. So
1: yeah, it is, it is 70 degrees here. We go on hikes, we're outdoors. I mean, the sun keeps you alive. I know I try not to it into everybody, but I have these conversations quite a bit.
0: Um, so and and so with Brent, if I understand it correctly, so the, the deal is this. So as as an executive recruiter running a search firm, it you specialize in logistics and supply chain. So these are the companies that are just getting the goods to us, right? These are the ones who are getting the stuff to go to Target and Walmart. Is that kind of
1: yeah. I mean, here's here's the reality. A lot of people, you know, they don't talk about supply chain. It's not really the most sexy industry. It's just not something that kind of comes top of mind. But it is now almost a trillion dollar industry. I mean, Jack, if you look around your house, if anybody looks around their home, every single thing in there has come on a truck. Like you really have to understand the dynamic and the importance of the supply chain. So, you know, we help companies that are moving product, whether that be, you know, you have to think about even during COVID, food toilet paper, right? Everything that there's a reason it's an essential industry. So we're helping a lot of people get into that dynamic in the industry, but it's something that everybody should be very conscious of. I mean, how many packages do
0: people get on Amazon every week? A lot. I can tell you about us. We get every day,
1: (laughs) pretty much every day. We can get into that because that's a whole crazy story. I mean, this is something that's part of everyday life now. Mm -hmm. It's just things get delivered to us, but no one talks about
0: what happens behind the scenes. It was so interesting because at the beginning of the pandemic, there was talk about it, right? Because if I remember correctly, and it, it, it's funny, it's a year ago now, so it seems like a distant memory. But like a year ago, Brent, they were saying, hey, this—you know, we're not getting the masks. We're not getting the, the uh, protective gear because the supply chain isn't there. We're not getting the medicine. And it was like a wake-up call for five minutes of like, wait a minute, we got to do something about it. And then like we always do here in America, we forget about it. We move on to whatever else is there. So it is. It is a big deal. It's one of those things, like you said. It's 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 getting stuff from one point to another, making sure that you know you get your toilet paper when you you get whatever, and the people you place, they're not the truckers, but they're the executives at these offices, right?
1: That's exactly right. I mean, this is insane. But like, we probably still get five to ten calls a week. Brent, can you help us with drivers? Can you help us with drivers? Because that is a very big issue out there in the marketplace. But we've just never done that. That's a really hard thing to do. But again, C-level, sales sales reps, uh, operational folks, which is really, really hot in demand because here's the reality, the freight is there. And so a lot of these companies just need people that can A, service the account or B, just keep the freight moving. So that's been really the biggest shift there in COVID is how much of a shift there's been from the demand for sales reps to the demand yeah. for, hey, we have the customers and the and the stuff. We just need to be able to support these companies. So, so how, do,
0: how does it work, Brent? So in other words, like, I- is it where, you know, the, the people that you work with, are they the companies themselves? They're like middlemen? Like, how does this whole
1: Both. So we work with some companies that have what they call their own assets, which means that they have their own trucks, their own fleet. Right. And a lot of what we do is in two other spectrums. Number one, we work with uh, third-party brokers. And so they call it 3PL, third-party logistics. So these are people that have relationships with a number of different either carriers and or shipping companies. And they're just the middleman, they're, fa- they're the facilitator, right? And so that's a really big part of the industry. But the really big thing that's popped up, I would even say in the last couple of years is the technology dynamic of the industry. Because, I mean, look at, we'll just talk about Amazon as a prime example, right? You order something, you mm-hmm. click one button, within seconds, you have an email saying, hey, your your order has been accepted, right. so it's in process, here's your receipt, whatever the case may be. So. All that has changed the game. Everybody wants visibility, tracking, where's it at? When's it going to get to me? I mean, that's really shifted the whole industry because before this was an old school industry. I mean, I've still been to some offices that have the bullhorns
0: on the desk. Wait, What do you mean the bullhorns on the desk?
1: When you think of trucking, like in Texas, you think of like, you know, there's the old school offices, a lot of fax machines and just kind of a good old boy network.
0: Yeah.
1: Game has completely
0: changed. That's wild. Mm-hmm. That's what, and so for these people, so how, you, you would probably be able to tell what's going on with the economy this way, right? I'd imagine based on the amount of, you know, I'm just, I'll call it stuff because I don't know what else to say, but the amount of stuff that's moving on trains. And I guess what, it's trains, where are boats? Or? Yeah,
1: I mean, you have to think, like, so... It- I always say that the the industry is a great dictator of the economy because if things are moving, and again, broad word using things, but the demand is there. So you have to think a lot of the stuff that you order, it may come over here from another country on a boat. Once it gets to the port, it then has to be able to go out, whether that be on a train, whether that be on a truck to a warehouse. Once it gets to the warehouse, then it actually has to go out to the customer. So there's a lot of moving parts out there. But, you know, earlier this year, I know you and I had spoken about this, I was giving you some stats on some things that that I saw, the Port of Los Angeles and Long Beach, set a record last year, over a 160 year old record for the amount of imports coming in. Mm -hmm. That is a bold statement that not many people talked about right. So there's every almost every company that we deal with, literally had a record year in 2020. They were moving more product and more freight than ever before. Some of these companies, I'm not talking they've been around five years. Some of these have been around 50 years, 100 years. But for them to say in like Q3 and Q4 that we had our best months ever, that's a very, very bold statement. And it really hasn't slowed down, to be honest with you.
0: Do you see it both ways that we're getting it in from other countries, but we're also sending it out? Or is it really more getting it in?
1: I would say that the demand is really coming (laughs) to us I and mean, because a lot of the products are kind of made overseas yeah. um so it's more of like the inbound dynamic but here's the other thing to think about too this is crazy jack not a lot of people know or talked about this there was a uh, news that came out late in december that said like amazon and walmart they were actually allowing people just to keep a product so rather than return it they were saying hey if it doesn't work i'm just going to refund you but just keep it the reason they did that and this is wild is because There's so much demand for product going out that they were basically raising their hands and saying, hey, don't send it back. We we don't want it. We can't support it, you know, on the what they call reverse logistics, which is a whole nother (laughs) one that people don't talk about. Like you have to think about over the holidays, right? There's like 80 billion dollars in product that gets returned in December and January. So not only are you having these record times of product going out, but all of a sudden people are saying, Hey, that's the wrong size that's the wrong color. That isn't what I thought. And these companies are now saying, holy smokes, now we got to handle that side of the coin. That's what has kind of caused this dynamic just to be uh, so crazy right now.
0: That's, that happened to us. I know my wife, I can't remember what she got, but she ordered something it, it, for whatever reason. It didn't work. It was broken. And you know, that usually you're like, ah, you know, and then once they send it back and they said, no, no don't worry, keep it. And we're looking yeah. at each other. Wait, wait, that, Okay, but that doesn't, doesn't seem right. Like, how can you run a business? Keep it. I guess it's so busy, they just chalk it off and just say, all yeah, right. right it's- I mean, it may cost more
1: for them to, to actually get yeah. the product back in, the hassle of that dynamic, do a return and get it back out to you. They're just saying, hey, just donate it, keep it. Like, just kind yeah. of figure it out. So that's crazy. That was not the case a year ago. Like, that's all stuff that has happened in the last couple of months. Again, not a lot of people talk about it or know about it
0: because they right. just want the
1: product. They don't know about all the moving parts behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, what do you see? Like, what's the hot area? Is there any kind of, you know, uh, I, I, I'm I'm doing this not to elicit insider, you know, trading stock tips, but I'm looking. What's are there certain companies that are really doing well? There's certain products that like you notice that are well, being shipped all over the place.
1: I'll give some insider info. Yeah. I'm not proprietary there's nothing crazy. Yeah. But here's a prime example of the intel that we get on the streets yeah the reason that like the trucking side of the industry is so red hot is nothing more than capacity there's only so many trucks on the road so everybody is fighting saying hey i need to put my product into that 53 footer so the trucking company can say well hey i can charge almost whatever i want because there's such a demand the reason that there is so much demand out there is because there's not enough trucks on the road this is what slowed down during COVID—the production of trucks. We know companies that we just had lunch with, uh, some owners of a trucking company we had lunch with last week, and this is what's crazy. No one even talks about this. The reason of the bottleneck is there's one company that does the suspension. When they slow down, you can't make the trucks. Who else would know that? But that's where the biggest pain point is. There is not enough trucks on the road. Everyone thinks that's it's shortage so and everything else. There's simply so much demand and not enough volume in that capacity. That's where the bottleneck is. That's so
0: wild. Now, you you know, you're reading about, what was that, uh, Nikola and some others are trying to do these, like what, hydrogen-based trucks? Are you seeing that? Is that a reality, is that? Yeah, those
1: guys were based here in Arizona. I mean, I know there was some controversy and stuff with the CEO, but from a a standpoint of that, that's a huge expense for these companies is a fuel too, right? So there's so much expense on the maintenance, the fuel, uh, the driver himself, that a lot of these companies, that's what they're gearing towards. They want to get into hydrogen. You know, they want to put uh, these stations where you can just kind of, like a Tesla, right? You can just kind of recharge the truck and then boom, get back on the road and or create it where it's driverless trucks. Now, I personally still think we're a little bit away from that. I mean, you have to think about this. We've all seen kind of the beta test with some of these vehicles getting on the road, but you got to remember these trucks in most cases, they carry 80,000 pounds in them. So, I don't know that
0: you necessarily want to be in front of a truck with no one in it. That's kind of I can't do. Maybe it's my age. I can't fathom that going down. I can't fathom. I'm on the highway right with my family driving down, and you look over, and there's not a driver in that huge truck next to you.
1: And this oh. is what's crazy with all the technology coming out, though. This is where it gets wild. They yeah. actually, that the sensors that they're creating, the technology that's coming out, is actually safer than the human dynamic because they're going to have so many different angles and touch points and cameras and all of this amazing stuff. But I still think we're a little bit away from there because you have to think about this too. Even when the truck drives, there 60 miles, 600 miles, whatever it may be. Someone still has to be there to unload it. Someone still has to be there to kind of navigate during tight restraints. Cause it's one thing like you, you live in the kind of New York, New Jersey area. It's one thing if you're just going through Texas where it's wide open and the truck's got nothing in front of it. But what do you do when you're downtown Manhattan? I can't even fathom how it, it could work without a driver. Cause it's just crazy. Wow. So that's all stuff that's kind of being worked on behind the scenes, but it's real. Absolutely. The game is changing. The industry is changing.
0: And then are you seeing, um, as I mentioned before, like anything in particular that like, it rings of like you would never expect that all of a sudden this is so hot and this is that the people you work with are, are kind of shipping this certain good or product or service that's just or you know, it's everything. Yeah, it, it really is everything. I mean, this is what's kind of
1: crazy. Again, even, even if we talk about Amazon, this is kind of what blows my mind about Amazon. You know, I got two little girls. I can literally go on there and order a pack of crayons, one pack of crayons. There's no minimum charge. That product has to be there. A lot of times I can get it within hours. Like that's what's crazy. It's like, you can literally go on there and order that wallpaper behind you. You could order a pack of pens. You could order one coffee mug and it still has to get to you,
0: right? It's insane. It's it's like magic. It's like, how does that happen?
1: I don't know how Amazon doesn't say, hey, you have to have a $50 minimum charge. You have to order a minimum of five products for us to get to you. Like that's what's kind of crazy about supply chain is you have so much of that going out to so many different people that just think about that bottleneck again, that it's creating.
0: <laughs> it's a lot of that because we do that, you know, we need whatever it may be. Right. And Brett, and then we'll like send an order and maybe two hours later, you know, you get the doorbell ringing and we have it. And like, this is well, unbelievable.
1: Yeah. I mean, even out here in Arizona, you know, you can do that with whole foods. You can do that with sprouts. You can do that with the grocery stores out here too. Well, they'll actually just bring it to you. Well, so, You have to think of how the industry and how the world is changing, right? There's a lot of talk about a lot of these malls and retail, right? They just may become places where you try on clothes. It may become a fulfillment center. The grocery store may just be something that you kind of walk through to see what's there, but that might turn into a warehouse. There's a lot of evolution out there that people are not realizing. That's the hottest part too. I know a lot of people out here in Arizona that are in the commercial real estate space. Everyone is trying to gobble up warehousing. Yeah. Because all the product has to be stored somewhere.
0: Where I am going down on, on the Garden State Parkway and New Jersey Turnpike, there are just mammoth fulfillment centers that seem to go on forever. Yeah. It's it's mind blowing how that so is.
1: It's coming in there, and then it obviously has to go spit out to 100 different locations or whatever the case may be. So, again, this is something where the industry is so prevalent in our everyday lives. Yet, not really talked about. It's wild.
0: It's not, right? It's because I, I, you know, I wonder why. Like we said, the beginning of the pandemic, it was a conversation because everyone freaked out. Why are we not getting the medicines? Why are we not getting this? And then we just moved on. But that's kind of the underpinnings of commerce here in this in this country, right? Well, I mean, if that stops, everything stops.
1: Yeah, here's, exactly. I mean, so there's a crazy YouTube video that I think is very eye opening of how important the industry is. It's called Five Days Without a Truck. And it's a it's maybe a two or three minute video on YouTube. But what it talks about is the impact that it has. Like if those trucks stop rolling, money doesn't get to the ATM. Bed sheets don't get to hospitals. Vaccines don't get out there. Children's formula, right? We don't think about everyday yeah. life, even those little things. So when those trucks start stop moving, trust me, we're in a hard spot. So we want to see those things out there. We yeah. want to see activity.
0: Well, you know, it's because we don't think about the stuff. We just look at like what's tangible you know we're looking at the microphone in front of us and that's what we care about we don't care how did it get (laughs) how did it get to best buy so i could pick it up or have it delivered to my house we don't want to be bothered with that yeah we just want to know
1: how fast can it get to me that's all we care about right it's like
0: yeah it's like it's like i want to be a vegetarian because like I, i try not to think about what happens how we get our food i try to block it out of my mind you don't want to know you just don't want to know how that happens And same thing with everything else. We just kind of just, oh, thanks.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It says a lot about society, does not it? Where we just like, "Eh, whatever, whatever happens, just we want it. We want it right now. We want to have it. We don't care how it gets here, what happens.
1: Well, and you have to think how easy things have become, right? So like our phone has become our, it's part of our everyday life, right? You can literally go on there and and order anything from food to product to, you know, anything that you need. And so there is an ease that has happened. It's become so simple to get product to us, but again, just no one understands where it's starting from, where it's ending, who's actually delivering it to us. You know, you have to think like even the USPS, a lot of people don't know this on Sundays, that's almost a designated them day, excuse me, for them to deliver for Amazon, the USPS. That's wild. So they had to turn on their own day to be able to support the demand. That's wild.
0: It is. I mean, I go outside because can't do much here. It's not like Arizona. We can go outside. It's nice weather. It's open here. We're still kind of under lockdown. So the so we'll walk the dogs all the time. Our dogs. It could be marathon runners. We walk them so much, and you'll see, like you said, on weekends, Amazon. All, like that's who you see. It's all the time, all the yeah. time, everywhere. Yeah. Um thing is, it's you now. What would happen? Like, do you think that eventually? You're just going to see, you're not going to see these stores anymore. Do you think it's going to be like you were saying, you're not going to see JCPenney or Macy's or what have you, or there'll be a shell of themselves. And really it's just a way to pick up stuff. But- well, I
1: mean, I think, you know, obviously COVID has changed things, but when was the last time you went to a mall and it had the hustle and bustle? Like there, think how many employees are there, right? And like, there's just kind of that buzz that was there years back. That has changed because they made it so easy to order online. Why would you leave your house? You don't need to. Yeah. Yeah. Especially once you know your sizes, once you know a product. I mean, they've made it so, so simple as far as that goes. So yes, I do think that is going to be an evolution. I think that these, uh, just like the office dynamic is changing, right? From the co-working space and not everyone being in there. I think these retail centers, these massive malls, a lot of that stuff is going to become more of the fulfillment dynamic like we talked about.
0: So in other words, what I'm hearing from you, the way it's going to shift in this whole space is that you're going to move from, you know, places like JCPenney, Neiman Marcus, J Crew that you know, had to declare bankruptcy. Maybe they'll have smaller footprints. Maybe they'll have, like you said, maybe a place where you could just try on something or whatever it might be. But it's probably going to end up being a lot of fulfillment centers, and that's what happened actually with J C Penney, where after bankruptcy, you had Simon Properties and I forgot the other place bought them out, but they were going to make a lot of, you know, the locations just be like almost warehouses within a mall.
1: Yeah, it's and, absolutely happening. We're seeing yeah. it. These are big logos, right? These are not mom and pop shops. I mean, these are massive, you know, companies that have been around hundreds of years, billion dollar companies traditionally that are having to evolve and some will and some won't.
0: So it seems like what you're in, this is gonna be a growing business, man. This is gonna keep keep moving. Because it seems like, right? It seems like the momentum is on your side there in terms of how it's gonna, how it's shifting. Because I can't see, even even, let's say project a year out and we have, you know, 90% of the population vaccinated I don't know how many people are gonna rush back to a mall. There'll be a certain amount, but I don't, I, I, you know, it's gonna be hard to kind of go back. Yeah, exactly. I mean,
1: think about it, March 16th, in essence, the world went remote, right? So yeah. we're almost up on a year. And so again, we're, we're kind of forced to stay inside. We're forced just to order stuff. And, and again, it's not just food. I mean, literally anything that you want, you can get furniture, TVs, right, appliances. I mean, it's still gonna to come to you in some capacity, I mean, you're out there. I mean, think about Peloton.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Those bikes blew up, right? They just okay. had over hundred million dollars in the supply chain because they got so backed up, they could not support. They the- couldn't.
0: They couldn't so deliver it. Whoa! You know, you know, Brett. Sometimes I get things so wrong. When it first came out, I'm like, who's going to spend you know twelve hundred bucks during a pandemic for a stationary bicycle and wow. have an instructor yell at you and have to pay a subscription?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Obviously, a lot, a lot of people did. I, I, mean, I, I, I
1: couldn't... They, they absolutely blew up. and I mean, you have to think about, even if we stay in that world, some of the other ones that have come out, a, a tonal, T-O-N-A-L, they have the mirror, right? So it's like yeah. everything turned home. I mean, I know some buddies out here that are in the construction, and they, they talked about how the construction of new homes has changing, where now they're implementing two things, home gyms and home offices. Yeah. That's like just the new world that we live in. I know that's kind of a term that we've all heard, but the evolution is here, it's happening.
0: Yeah, it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Um, on a side note, just to talk a little business, I gotta find somebody who uh, I'm pretty sure I might know some people who deal with these, let's say blue collar kind of jobs like truck drivers and all that. Yeah. I should put you in touch with him because that could be a great synergy.
1: Yeah, it's a huge between... demand. I mean, Because here's the reality about the trucking industry and truck drivers, yeah. there's a 100% turnover. These are the problems, yeah. there's 100% turnover. Whoever gets in is getting out. Yeah. But the problem is, There's not really a new batch or a new generation that wants to do that job, right? So these millennials, you know, they live on Instagram. They kind of like want to be part of a big culture and kind of some fun place. They don't want to be isolated and go sit in a truck. This is where the problem persists. So who is going to take those jobs? Who So what's happening? What are they doing? No, you have to look at going to the military, You have to look at going to bringing people in overseas. That's a real dynamic as well. There's a lot of Eastern European individuals that are coming over and doing that as well. So it's a problem, like where do you find these people, right? So everyone's trying to figure that out. There's no secret sauce. And you're having to train people, you know, at these truck driver schools to get into that. But it's a hard job, it's not simple. Those. That's why these drivers, they deserve so much more respect than they get. Yeah. That is an isolating, hard, hard position.
0: You know, it's interesting. I can imagine someone coming from, let's say, Eastern Europe. And let's say all they know is that area. They come here and they drive a truck across the country. How mind-blowing would that be for them to see, you know, going from like a New York City Mm -hmm. to see an Arizona, to see a Colorado, to see California in, in how the landscape changed? Just as a side note, that has to be for those people who are doing it. Like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, even if they don't stay doing it, imagine seeing the country that way and getting paid for it for a while.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is that I think I do think the the, the pay has to change, right? These yeah. people aren't paid an enormous amount. So again, it, it, that is part of the dynamic that has to shift as well, because that will draw more people in. But it's a real issue. I mean, like I said, we no joke get five to 10 calls per week. Can you help us? And unfortunately, I have to say no, because that's just not our niche.
0: Yeah. So... The other thing I want to talk to you about, Brent, is you know, number one, I wanted to hear about this, because to me, and I'm sure the people who are watching it now and who watch it later on, is it's a positive sign of the economy. You know, when you hear that kind of movement, that's, that's good. That means people are working, people are buying stuff. And when people buy stuff, that shows you're being confident. You know what I mean? You're not going to buy stuff if you feel... I'm not gonna have a job tomorrow. I'm gonna lose my job tomorrow. So it's it's a lot of points that show, hey, things are going well, better than what we may think it is because there's so much doom and gloom out there. There's so much negativity. It's like, to me, the media can't wait to just talk down about things and just say, hey, this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong. So I like speaking to people who could point out, hey, here's what's working, here's what's doing well. It's like a counter narrative that for some reason isn't broadcast enough. So, So it's really good to hear that. The second thing, so I want to talk about is, with what I found out, find out uh, selfishly, or I should say selfishly, but like, because I've been a recruiter for so long, I know the value we bring to the table, but it does seem during the pandemic, when there's so many people out of work, there's a big misconception among job seekers about recruiters, what they do, why they do it, how to get on their radar. So I thought Brent, you know, because not only you're a recruiter, but you run your own executive fir- uh, search firm. Maybe you can give a little advice to people who are on the job search and they haven't used recruiters or they're leery of recruiters. Like, may- hey, what are the dos and don'ts? What is about? What are the benefits?
1: Yeah, you know, one of the first things that I would lead into if I was a candidate trying to reach out to a recruiter is I really would try to go niche specific. I really would try to go to people that have that network, are dialed in, because I know that's what's kind of really made us, you know, so dangerous and had this massive growth is because we know all the companies, we know the roles, we know the lingo, we know the verbiage, right? I think a lot of people, unfortunately, may have had a bad experience with some recruiting companies. And the reality is some of these recruiters, I mean, let's call it what it is, they're selfish. They're looking out for themselves, right? They're I'm not- Unshot.
0: Yeah, what? Right? Impossible.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm an advisor, I'm a matchmaker. You know, like when I take a call nowadays, like I may have an idea of where I want to submit that person, But the reality is, you know, we have so many different options that when I listen to the individual, when I ask the right questions, I start to kind of create that narrative in my mind and be able to kind of put them in the right position to win. So like I never take somebody as a candidate and spread them around five places at once. I don't set them up with five dates. Like what's the point, right? I'm not really helping number one, the candidate. And number two, I'm not really building those deep relationships with the company. They want to know that I'm bringing them the right person from day one. And so again, I think that's the biggest part. But if I'm a candidate. One thing that I think people should be doing from a relationship with a recruiter is coming to us, finding us, but knowing that we help people get into doors that they couldn't get on their own. So they have to do something that's going to stick out to us. Right? So like, I think the one thing that we're really good at is creating a narrative. Like Jack, I don't care about resumes. I care about the person, not the paper. If I'm a candidate and I'm having a tough time getting indoors, I have to start to think about what kind of narrative of narrative, excuse me, am I going to create around myself? What are my sales stats? What are the type of accounts that I helped, right? What growth occurred under my watch? What am I going to do to get someone like myself excited, which in turn I can go to the clients and companies we work with and get them excited. A lot of people just want to blast over a resume. I can read it. Great. Not much is going to jump off the page. Come to me with that five, 10 minute phone call that we have and let me know what makes you stick out so that I can make sure and get you in the right door. That's a huge dynamic that people, I don't want to say they get lazy. Maybe they just don't know the importance of that.
0: I think a lot don't get it, you know? And I think what happens, Brett, to your point is that sometimes um, you know, you're saying, hey, they should find somebody in their niche that specializes in their area because they know the clients, they know the companies, they know the hiring managers, they know the culture so that. You know, someone like Brent could serve as an advisor but I think what happens is you have somebody who let's say I go to you and say hey Brent I'm looking for and you're let's say you're not a recruiter just like a regular guy and I'm like hey Brent who, who can I talk to as a recruiter and you go oh I talk to Joe he's really good but Joe knows nothing about what I do so it ends up being a really bad rapport because I'm thinking hey Brent mentioned Joe Joe should be really good and it turns out he can't help me, and now I'm ticked off. I'm ticked off at you. I'm ticked off at Joe. The situation. And I think that happens a lot. That they just feel, oh, you're a recruiter, so that means, oh, okay, you could just get me a job. And what? I, and yeah. But meanwhile, yeah. what I, I agree with you. I think personally, the recruiters, and I don't mean to disparage any other recruiters who don't do this. I could just talk to my own experience, you know, myself, my company, we we, we focus just really on one major area, you know, these, these would be like compliance, legal risk, audit, anti-money laundering people on Wall Street to make sure they're keeping Wall Street straight. So like, you know, the companies, you know, the companies, you know, the people, and as you said, you know, the lingo, you know, the higher managers, you know, which culture, each one, every company is so different that then you could tell, you could say with somebody, yeah, you would be good cultural fit for this place or you might not and it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong it's just like you might not like the way a certain place, you might not like going to a company that expects you to be seven thirty in the morning until 10 at night others will say i don't care i just want to make as much money as possible and that's cool but if you don't if if a candidate doesn't know that by themselves and they do it they could be in a bad shape but if they speak to a recruiter who knows it then they have choices they're like oh okay you know what it's a trade-off if i go to this company this could be long hours but i'm gonna make a lot of money and have a future okay cool or they may say i don't want that i have young kids at home i'd rather go to this other company and you could avoid a lot of trouble by helping them out and pointing them in the right direction
1: well and if i'm a candidate i'll let yeah. you know how you're in the right hands with the right recruiters because they're going to know the, the answers to the questions you have right so tell me about the company tell me about the leadership mm-hmm. what is the culture like right because for all, yeah. I, we all speak for ourselves I have traveled all over the country before COVID. I know every single client that we work with inside and out. I can describe the people as individuals. I can describe the, the conference room that you would sit in, right? So that makes us really dangerous to the marketplace. But if a company or a recruiter is basically just trying to connect the dots off nothing more than a job description, how much do they really know?
0: See, I think that's, that's, I think that really is the challenge where you have some recruiters who they just throw paper against the wall and hoping for the best where others, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, uh, uh, you know, let's say just one company comes to mind where they had like really cool artwork, you know, like their whole office seemed like a museum mm-hmm. and it was really cool. So you describe what it looks like. And to the candidate, either they say, wow, that sounds awesome. or like, yeah, I couldn't care less about it, but you know what, at least you're showing, Hey, this is what it's about. Mm-hmm. And if you, and, and if you don't know it, it's, it's kind of you wasting someone's time because you're not going to help give them the right thing. And they're going to go for interviews. They're not going to like it. They're not going to feel comfortable. It's not the, you know, they're going to feel it's just not a match. So now the- if
1: I'm a company, I'm going to spin that around to the company too. You have to understand, Jack, that we live in a visual world, right? We love images. We want to see things. We're all scrolling on our phones yeah. nonstop. If I'm a company, I have to ask myself, what am I putting out yeah. there? how am I showing our people? How am I highlighting our culture? What am I doing to understand, you know, how we're impacting the marketplace? Because a lot of people, this sounds crazy. The new generation cares more about purpose than profit.
0: Oh, without a doubt. Yes.
1: Part of something.
0: Yeah. And so
1: from a company standpoint, what am I doing to give that out to the marketplace? What am I doing to show people a day in the life? That's how you're going to draw people in. You cannot hide behind a static website A couple pictures here and there. What does that really tell me? Right. And so, if I'm a company and I'm watching this as well, I'm paying attention to that. Give people what I call the movie trailer dynamic. Then think about what a movie trailer is, right? It's two minutes of somebody saying, Look at this. And you're like, Wow, I want to see that. So, from a company, what am I doing to provide that image? What am I doing to kind of give you a glimpse into who we are? Because that's what's going to draw the people in.
0: Yeah. It's so different. You know, my kids are Gen Zs and you could tell they're much more interested holistically. You know, yeah. what, what what the people are like, what's their mission? You know, mm-hmm. what kind of social causes are they behind? And so they want to feel that they're part of that in as much as the job itself. It's very different than probably when you and I were growing up and looking for a job where that like wasn't even a thought, you know, that's something that didn't even occur to us. Now that's like, I would say, like you, you were saying, like maybe number one or number two or number three points mm-hmm. of what they're looking to do.
1: Yeah, no one cares about the ping pong tables and kegs on Fridays and like any of that stuff. Like that's, that's kind of been there, done that, especially with all the remote dynamic. It's like, what are you doing to the marketplace? How are you impacting things? What charities are you a part of? What can I get behind? Yeah, I kind of say that that's really the new culture. It's just, that's how you get buy-in from a team as well. Cause it's not about the, you know, kind of have fun and happy hour dynamic, but it's more about the purpose than anything.
0: When you look at candidates, whether mm-hmm. they call you, you're reaching out. What do you, what do you, what would someone have to do to shine and not just for you, but if you can picture generally, so to make the difference between you're like, Oh my gosh, this guy or woman is great. You know, I got to find a job for this person or thanks. It was nice speaking to you.
1: Be engaged energy, know who you are, have that self identity. Yeah. What you want. Yeah. So think about that because sales and recruiting in general is nothing more than an exchange of energy. It is my job to get someone excited about you. But it all starts with you getting me excited, which in turn allows me to do my job, right? And you have to know who you are. You have to know what you want. That's the number one question as a recruiter that I ask the candidates I speak with. It's not about what I have. I have a lot of options. Jack, what do you want, right? What are you looking for? Because what you're looking for might be different than the next person I'm going to talk to and the next person tomorrow, So that again allows us to play matchmaker, but the more identity you have, the more that you know your strengths, the more that you know, hey, I'm really an account manager, not really a a sales guy, right? I'm really more of a farmer than a hunter. That's fine, embrace it, own it. But the more clarity you have around you and what you're looking for, it allows you, it allows I to truly play matchmaker and not just help someone find a job. That's not really what recruiters do. I always say this, I wanna help people find a career, not a job. There's a big difference in the two.
0: I agree. It is okay. So do you have, because you mentioned this before, where the business model you have, if let's say I have some skill that I could work in logistics and supply chain, that you have jobs with like four different places or so that you could send me to those different four? Is that? Yeah. I mean,
1: we work, we look in our world, the companies, they do a lot of the same things, mm-hmm. but they're not the same. The culture is different. The business model might be different. The commission plan, who pays what? So again, if we just play matchmaker. I'm not going to take somebody who I said, hey, this is good. Let's go give them, let's go give all these companies a 25% ch- chance at landing them. That's just not how I operate. So what we like to do is kind of set up one date at a time. Hey, I'm listening to what you're saying. I think you would strategically be a very good fit over here. If so, that's amazing. And we hit a lot on that first shot. If not, let's learn. Let's see what was off. Let's take that information, and yeah. then we'll go down the next path. But again, that's more of a strategic recruiter as opposed to like a job placement company. I never look at myself as like a job placement company.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting because for years the Arizona was so blazing hot. You would see, um, let's say, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, Goldman, Deutsche, Barclays. They'll all have kind of the similar jobs open the similar time. So yeah, they could be appropriate for all those, but then they go into everything you were describing, the cultural fit and so on. Um, When it's not as hot, then it's, you don't have as many of those, so it's a little harder. And and so that's kind of a very interesting thing where if you have choices or you don't have choices, it seems like in your area, which is really nice that it's so hot that these job seekers have choices. So they don't have to settle for something that's not the right fit. That's not the right, uh, you know, not not the right placement, which is good, it's great that it's it's that environment. Well, and a lot of these candidates, what you have to understand is like you're in demand.
1: You kind of hold the leverage. So if I'm a candidate, I'm going to create some kind of non-negotiables. This is what I'm looking for, right? And if that aligns with you, then great. But if not, no harm, no
0: foul. And we'll go to the next. See, it's interesting. So where where you are, so it's a hot area. So like, the and these candidates know it's a hot area. So that's great. So they're excited. What what? And what you're saying about the other people, how you come across, what I find out with folks is that let's say it's not a hot area. And- you know, Brent, you ask me, hey, Jack, what do you do? And I'm hemming and hawing. and I can't give my you know, elevator pitch. And I can't articulate what I want. I can't articulate what I did. I'm going to lose you. And you're going to think, ah, you know, this is, you know, the area you're interviewing for. There's not a lot out there. And there's a lot of candidates looking. And if you can't do this, I got to move on. Is that, is that fair to say? So you end up shooting yourself in the foot to a certain degree. It
1: is. And, and, you know, if I'm a candidate, I also have to think, like, what methods am I going to do to get in front of the proper audience, right? Because to me, I personally think, like, applying online, I think it's a broken system. There's no face to a name. There's nothing to separate your resume from the other hundred that click the same button, right? So a lot of the companies that, like, we work with, they almost look at it like a challenge. Like, if somebody's in sales and they want to get into our organization, what steps are they doing to get in front of us? It's almost like a test. Because if they know how to work the system and get in front of the right audience, right. that means that they know how to get through gatekeepers. That means that they know how to kind of penetrate this thing properly. That's somebody that now has my attention. You have to think, I know a lot of people are going to watch this on LinkedIn. This is a powerful tool. Like literally, Jack, you can go to any company and you can look up the people that are there. You can see their background. You can see where they came from. How did they get in the door? There's a lot of symmetries that are out there. Maybe there's somebody there that went to the same school as you. Maybe there's somebody that has similar interests. What are you doing besides just clicking a button and saying, I hope, pray, and wish that they respond? Here's the other thing too. This is the most powerful part of a recruiter. We hold your hand during the process. If I click apply on my own, I have no idea when that company is going to call me, (laughs) if they're going to call me. I'm literally on standby for an email, hopefully to set something up. We are nothing more than facilitators. I'm going to get you in the door. I'm going to set up that first interview and all the interviews thereafter. We can help you negotiate the deal, right? I'm literally holding your hand until you start. And you and I are going to stay in communication afterwards. Imagine going into a club. This is, how I, this is a great analogy. There's VIP hosts at most clubs, right? Open the red, you know, the, the, the red string and say, mm-hmm. here you go. That's what we do. We guide these people through. We're not standing in line like everybody else. That's how you have to look at us. We're nothing more than sports agents. We're facilitating so much. So having that relationship with the recruiter is a powerful, powerful thing. It just has to be the
0: right one. Yeah, It's interesting. I don't think the recruiting industry markets itself well enough because that's a really good analogy because good recruiters are like that. You know, they're going to back for you. They're the agent. And this is going to sound crass, but actually it's a good thing because, well, you know, recruiters are compensated when they play somebody you know, if it's either, whether it's contingency or retained, you actually have to place a person. So you have a financial motivation to make it work. <laughs> you know I mean, it's not like a job that, you know, you're just stamping things or moving paper around. I mean, like, if you don't place people, you don't make a living and you don't eat. So you have this, So you have, you want to make it work. So like you have somebody on your side who's as hungry, if not hungrier than you to get this to work. And, in you this have to market, know,
1: you're aligning with the people that have the right ethics behind it as well, yeah. right? Because you yeah. don't want to go with someone that's kind of forcing you. Right,
0: this right. This is the yeah. thing, a,
1: a mindset thing that I think some recruiters do is they do it for their own gain. It's not about yeah. us.
0: It no. doesn't You know what? I don't think it works. I think that's a short-term thing. Like I've seen, you probably do see this too. You see, you know, recruiters that can be great and then they flame out. And I think because of that reason, because they're not thinking long-term. They're thinking, hey, if I place Brent and they start calculating what the fee would be and they're pushing and pushing, but people aren't dumb. They realize it's like a it's like a real estate broker who's twisting your arm. You're like, you know what, just leave me alone. Or a stockbroker who's trying to put you into some dumb investment. After a while, you're like, dude, I'm not going to talk to you anymore because you're just going to twist my arm and it's uncomfortable and and I don't like it. And there are plenty of others. I'll go to them. And I never view people as a transactional dynamic yeah. I'm a relationship person. I want to build a relationship
1: with that individual, because if you do things the right way, if I, I know Jack, if I help you, you know a lot more people than I do even personally. Right. So you might introduce me to three people. So I always yeah. have to with my individuals because one deal is going to lead to 10 is going to lead to a hundred. And so when you do that over the course of, you know, years and a decade, you can think how that network expands. That's all this is, you know, we get so many referrals nowadays because again of that dynamic, people the right way you have the right ethics, you put the right people in the right seats and the rest is history.
0: Yeah, because what you're saying is it's really such a simple philosophy is mm-hmm. that hey, you know, if you treat people the way you want to be treated, it's gonna work. Now, it doesn't, you know, maybe that aggressive cutthroat person recruiter might make another couple more placement than you because of that attitude. But that's not gonna last long. And the person and so you want to look if you're a job seeker, you want to find a recruiter who you feel gets you. Mm mm-hmm they're empathetic, they wanna help, and they're thinking long-term because also they're figuring, hey, three years from now, five years, you might be a manager and then you're gonna go back to Brent or Jack Kelly and said, hey, you know what? I really like how you helped me through that process. And I like the way you did it so much so that I want you to represent us now that I'm looking to hire. And I can't tell you how often that happens or they'll tell their friends or they'll tell other people to do it because they're like, oh, okay, this person, I really like how they manage themselves. And, stuff. and I, you probably get this too, Brent. There'll be times where I don't place the person, but when they look to hire, they'll call us to find, you know, somebody for their team because they just respect the way we acted and the way we treated them, even though we weren't the ones who actually placed them. Because they feel, hey, I like these guys and they're honest and they're straightforward. So it's so that's what you want to look for when you're when you're speaking to a recruiter. You want to feel that vibe. And if you don't feel comfortable, you know what? Trust your gut, right? When you say I, that, I Brent, like just. Talk. I have a funny story when it comes to that.
1: So one of our top clients, this is going back to probably like 2014, I had solicited this person who was at another company and he goes, there's no way you're not going to pay me enough. I'm in an unbelievable, you know, unbelievable spot. He goes, but something about you, like you're different. You're not like everyone else. He goes, I don't care. You're not going to grab me away, but wherever I go, you're coming with me.
0: Right, Cause and they sense it. They know, right. That I'm you're going to make it happen.
1: happen. And then we've you know placed hundreds of people over there yeah. over the last five years. That's a prime example too.
0: Yeah. And that's what you got to kind of keep your antenna up. So I think a couple of things that Brent is saying is one is that, you know, you want to find someone who's a specialist, I can't agree more. I mean, there'd be people, and I get it, there'd be some recruiters to say, hey, you know what, I could place, you know, this, that, the other thing. God bless. Sure. I I, I don't know. Personally, I could just say from my own personal experience, I find it more helpful when there's someone who really knows the industry, knows the people, know the processes, understands the culture, understands the pay, because then you have a huge leg up, a huge leg up. And if you find someone who doesn't, that's where I think a lot of the disappointment comes in because then you're expecting that and you don't get that. And it leads to frustration on everyone's part. Um, the second part, big part is Brent was talking about and I was talking about as well, is you wanna feel comfortable with the person. And if you don't, you know what, trust your gut. Give them a shit. You know, I'm. I i, I do not know how you are, right, with like relationship. You give someone like whatever if it works, and then if they do it, something else, and then maybe a third time, you're like, okay, you know what? I gave the person a benefit of a chance. It doesn't. It doesn't really work out. Same thing. If You deal with a recruiter, and they do a couple of things that you don't comfortable. You know what? There's plenty of others, and you go find somebody else who fits and who does a good job. And that's the thing. If I'm a
1: candidate, like I'm taking this very serious. Like I yeah. am. Trying
0: to kind of, you know, look look
1: through us and kind of find out who the best. Yeah. Is. And you can't just do what everyone else is doing. Like you cannot, because look at like some of these platforms, some of these job sites have made it so simple. Like literally I can go online on some of the, I won't say who they are, but I can click one button and apply to 50 jobs at once. One button blast my resume out there. Is that really the most strategic place? Like to be able to kind of turn action into, into reality? No, if you're having a conversation with somebody like yourself and say, this is what I'm looking for. I'm really good at what I do. Here's my narrative. Go open some doors for me, right? If you know I'm good, like you said, you're going to be incentivized on that. And then you're going to go to the marketplace and talk on my behalf. And now with the relationships that you have, Jack, these companies trust you. They know that you're not going to waste their time. They know that you're not going to bring average C players to them. You're only going to, They're only going to want to pay for the best of the best. Yeah. Therefore, when you find that recruiter who has those relationships and believes in you, that's a really, really strong relationship that you have forged.
0: Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, and, I, and I and I want to go back to the other point you raised too, is that when you speak with a recruiter, you really want to make sure, you know, you have an elevator pitch. And if you don't like the term elevator pitch, just be able to really articulate who you are, what you bring to the table, your background, and why it's relevant to that company. Because otherwise whether it's a recruiter or the internal HR person, or just someone you're trying to network with to get you in the door, they're just gonna lose interest. So you have to kind of work on that. And I've come across so many people who don't, and I'm not really sure why, but there's well, other people who don't, and it just falls apart. And here's the reality, like when you have
1: a resume, you can't explain moves. People mm-hmm. just see, they see gaps in employment. Mm-hmm. They say, well, you had two jobs in one year, but how do you say why? That's one thing yeah. that we as recruiters. We can create that narrative. We can explain that story and simplify it because everyone has a story. There's always reasons why things happen. But a pure PDF document is not going to convey that. That's really where, where we become dynamic is being able to get through that to our contacts in these companies.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. For, for years, I really didn't come in contact with too many career coaches or resume writers because as a recruiter, I was in a different world. But then when I started, you know, writing for Forbes and writing career related stuff, all of a sudden, you know, I've I've kind of got into their world and to a person, and I've definitely been in touch with dozens, if not probably up to 100 or so. And their mantra is exactly what you're saying, Brent, is that to send to fill out applications all day long and send resumes, you're just just spinning your wheels that you're wasting time. Could you get a hit from it? Yeah. But the odds are so stacked against it that you have to find a way to get in there. And, hey, if it's somebody who you know or someone who you're close with who knows then they're great. But if not, a recruiter is kind of the best option because they know how to get you in there. Well, and, and
1: that's, that's exactly yeah. why companies come to us. I mean, if yeah. you think about why this profession is a billion-dollar industry, it's because these companies know, too, that they can't just what I call post and pray they can't just put a job up there and kind of sit back on their hands. Well, someone's going to come to us,
0: right? Yeah.
1: And is the talent that you want probably on the sidelines is the talent that you want waiting for this magical job uh, description to pop up and send you there. No, the people you want, in most cases are working for somebody else. You have to know how to get in front of them. That's what recruiters do. Yeah, again, think about it. Big difference in
0: job yeah. versus career coach. Yeah. Cause think about it, Brad. you know, I'm a hiring manager and I have a stack of resumes. Well, used to be have a stack. Now it's, I'm looking, I'll be looking at the computer, you know, in the ATS system. And after a while, like you're blurry. But if let's say someone like you or I saying, hey, hiring manager, you got to check out Jane. She's awesome. Here's why she's awesome. This is what you did. It's so much easier for them to say, okay, (laughs) right. Let me do that rather than wade through. And you go down that whole list of all these resumes, you know, oh, let me check Jane. You know what? Might as well start with her and see what she's like.
1: That's why I use the club analogy. All those people are in line. We're guiding these people through, right? Because we have those relationships with the hiring managers. Like that's impactful for someone to have in your back pocket. So they have to just, again, it starts with building that relationship. But you can find people you rapport with. This is no different than anything else too, right? Some people you're going to have this magical dynamic where you're like, hey, we understand each other. Some people you're just going to not really get that vibe. And you got to pay attention to that as well.
0: Yeah, I like what you said too. Sometimes when you have, let's say, when you gave the example, maybe moved a couple of times in a year, just a bad year, just bad stroke of luck. It's so much easier when you have someone else to tell your story because it's so, how many times you probably see this all the time where you have a candidate who had a rough patch and then when they bring it up in the interview, that's when you get the call from the hiring manager where it just all goes south because they can't keep their composure to talk about that thing. Maybe they would let go, but they didn't do anything crazy, just let go. And they just can't get over that emotional hurdle of losing their job. And then when it comes up in the interview, they just change, they feel defeated, they feel angry, and it falls apart. So if you have somebody who could go to bat, it's like a lawyer, I don't know the exact adage, like you don't want to have, if you're a lawyer, you don't want to be your own attorney because of those kind of reasons, same thing. You want somebody who could go to bat, who could explain it away. And then also when you go to salary negotiations, it's so awkward. Because think about that to me was always the weirdest thing. You have a candidate, they're going to know, you're let's say you're going to be my boss. Now, I got to negotiate with you about my salary, but I don't want to be a jerk because then you're going to think that Jack is, oh my God, he's going to be so pushy. I don't know if I want to hire him. But if you have someone in between doing it, it makes life so much easier.
1: Well, and that's like one of the things that we do early on is we try to outline as yeah. much as possible in email number one, because the last thing that I want to do is I want to see someone go through a month of process, which we can get into the process, yeah. that, but and then get lowballed. Or be yeah. $20,000, 30000 off. And it's like, well, why did that happen? We're so far apart, right? So in email, number one, I always like to say, hey, this is where the person needs to be. So that way the company can make a determination. Hey, do we want to talk to them? Or are we just kind of, that's too much for us or whatever the case may be. But we save so much time doing that as well.
0: See, that's so important too, Brad. Whether it's dealing with a recruiter or anyone else, you have to know, like, right, when you're going for a job, how much are they going to pay, What's the not only the pay, like the pay, the bonuses, do you get options, how much time off, benefits, all that? Because and you have to know how much you'll accept because you don't want to go through two, three, four, six interviews with 10 people just to find out that you're just dramatically off. And it's 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 just it's gonna make you miserable, the company miserable. You you gotta, you gotta know that. Well, and that's the value of again
1: the recruiter, right? You just gotta find the right one. This is the thing too, Jack. Like you may have 20 clients that have 20 different processes, but you know how these companies operate their hiring methods you know the kind of questions that they do so that's the other thing too is that we do prep like we can tell the candidates hey this is what you should expect right this is kind of the flow that you should you know be aware of throughout the interview this is kind of the personality of the person he's going to come in hot and heavy and really push you but the next person you're going to talk to is a little softer a little more emotional like having that information is invaluable because otherwise people just walk into these calls blind
0: see that's the best but when i first started recruiting you know, going back 20 years, that was the norm where the average age of internal HR person or a recruiter, it was like 35 to 55. And they would say, okay, Jack, Brent is really good. And he's good at one, two and three, but you know what? He needs to work on X, Y, and Z. And then when he meets Sally, Sally's a big giants fan. And I know he's from Arizona. So like, you know, you you wanna talk about the giants and you get on her good side and you get that flavor all the time. Now, I don't know what is in your business, but I don't see that much anymore at all. And it puts the job secret at a disadvantage. So if you have a recruiter who's kind of holding your hand through it, they know because they've worked with them before. They may have even placed the higher measures so they can kind of give that insight that the company doesn't give. I mean, Do you get that now? Because I'll be honest, I don't really get as much color as it used to be. It's become much more like email text. So you can't get the texture.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it boils down from the recruiter just to yeah. the client, right? So that's what yeah. that really- them so strong because you have to know these people because any little bit of information like that, yeah. you know how it works. Because so all we're trying to do is connect the dots, create yeah. some energy, create some alignment. Well, hey Jack, I know that you're a Giants fan. Well, shoot, did you know? Like I was at the Super Bowl out here when you know David Tyree caught that uh, that ball on his helmet when Eli made that crazy mm-hmm. play. Like, that was wild, right? So all I'm doing is dropping that layer so I become more humanized as where as well. Little little things make a pretty impactful difference, but you have to know that information. You can't go on
0: LinkedIn and know that. that's That's where recruiters become a value see that's what i think what's happening you have a whole segment of the population at at all ages that Mm -hmm. have become so reliant on hey i'm going to fill an application i'm going to send a resume and i'm just going to wait and their other you know interview muscles atrophy because they're not doing the other stuff they're just doing that and then when it comes to interviewing they're not They haven't been doing their networking. They're not getting in touch with recruiters. They're not talking. They're not, you know, because the more you do it, because like some person may speak to you and they just flub it, right? But Mm -hmm. all right, they'll dust themselves off and then try again with another recruiter and so on. And they'll get better and better and better. And then maybe they'll circle back to you. And and then when they circle back, you go, oh, my God, this is like a different person. But if they're not doing that, they just, they'll never improve. And when you're
1: on the sidelines, here's the reality. Your job is to find a job. So you got to go all hands on deck, right? You can't just pray hope and wish and hit the button and pray. Someone kind of calls you. That's not how this works. You got to go become a dog and like go and pursue something, right? You have to go out and chase and you got to get in front of these people the right way. So I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. Like people have to take it upon themselves because here's the reality too: time kills all deals. It really, really does. Right. I made a video about this and here's the reality. If I'm a company that has this long drawn out process, People don't want to do that anymore, especially if they've been on the sidelines, they are simply going to gravitate towards the companies that move fast. So you have to ask yourself as a company too, like, what does our process look like? Are we going to do six interviews over six weeks? These people that are on the bench, they want to get back into action. They want to start working. So you have to ask yourself as a company, what can we do to fine tune this process, get the right people on the calls from the start, nimble that down to maybe two or three steps And move these people through because that way the candidate knows where they stand. The company internally knows exactly what bucket the person is in. And then you can simply move people through at a much quicker pace, which in turn is going to get you the better talent. You have to move fast these days.
0: It sounds because your area is doing really well. So I imagine for the most part, they kind of fast track it. Is that, is that right?
1: Well, they do. I mean, we, we, we've been able to get people offers on one phone call because again, when it comes from us, It has that stamp of approval behind it. Because these companies know Brent and this team is not going to submit somebody that's just okay. We're bringing the best of the best. So when I set up that phone call and they like that person, they're not waiting around. They're not saying, well, hey, I need you to do these assessments. I need to, you know, kind of see what things look like over the next month. No, it's go time. It's action. I know you're producing just like a sports team, right? I want you to switch jerseys and do it for me. Let's go. They don't
0: have time to wait. Uh, you know, and you know what was good about you? Ray, you you exude that confidence, which I think a lot of job seekers need. Especially, I, I don't want to overgeneralize, but in the pandemic, a lot of people it seems have lost their self-esteem. They've lost their self-confidence. They feel beaten up. Maybe they've had COVID. Maybe their family has COVID. Maybe they, you know, they're just sick and tired of working at home, and their kids are taking these Zoom classes, and they're unhappy. And their spouse is working, and it's just the best. And sometimes they need somebody, you know, who kind of has that confidence that drives to say, you know what, I need that help. I need that sports agent who's going to kind of knock down doors for me and make stuff happen because I've been just slapped around for the last, now going on a year.
1: I know. And I agree with you hundred percent. Like if I'm a candidate and I know I have a Zoom call like this, I am doing everything in my power to be prepared. I'm getting myself in the best room in my house possible. Okay. I'm going on Amazon and buying a $10 ring light to stand out differently. I'm making sure there's no distractions, no kids, no dogs, no one's going to bother me. And I'm engaged because, again, that's all it is. It's an exchange of energy. My job with this opportunity, especially with the Zoom dynamic, you have that separation yeah. is to get you excited in me. I can do this. I know I can do it. I have done it. This is why you need me on your team, right? When you have that swagger, when you have that confidence, that comes through, especially when people can see you. You can't fake this. Right, right, right. So people have to become prepared. They can't just show up and be like, well, yeah. I'll tell me about your company. And like, if I'm down here, <laughs> you're not look. If I'm down here, you're not gonna be yeah. up there. But if I'm up here, you have no other job than to get engaged. It's a boomerang, two way street.
0: Yeah, uh, so, so believe it or not, it's been over an hour. Five, do you? Is there anything else that I didn't ask you or did you wanna share with people? Well, you know, it's a lot.
1: I, yeah, I mean, I think here's the reality. Yeah. If I'm a candidate, I am really focused on finding that niche-specific recruiter who knows me, whether it be construction, whether it be accounting, whether it be Wall Street, whether it be freight. We have a different network. We have different relationships, number one. Number two, if I am a candidate, I am focused on that narrative. Who am I? What do I really do? What do I want? Convey that to someone like myself, allow us to play matchmaker. If I'm a recruiter, you have to be able to not focus on yourself. It's always about the person. It's always about asking questions, understanding what they want, not what you want. Play matchmaker. Don't be lazy.
0: Perfect. So, you know, you know what? That's a great way to end it. That's perfect. That's great advice. So. Brent, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to find you?
1: You know, we're very, very active on LinkedIn. Brent Orsuga, O-R-S-U-G-A. The company is Pinnacle Growth Advisors. You know, we have an amazing team. We get a lot of traction because of the content that we put out, whether it be uh, videos, you know, value adds to the industry, hiring trends, sharing articles that you write,
0: you know, because we want
1: to give. We want to give as much information out there to help as many people as we can. So LinkedIn is really the best platform to see us on.
0: Cool. All right. I lied. I have one more question. I'm sorry, yes. does someone have to have experience in your space if they want to transfer transition over or they have to know that area?
1: With the companies that we deal with, yes. Because okay. here's, we, we can close on this too. Yeah. This is where people that have experience during COVID have become so much more in demand because it's really hard. A lot of companies have really struggled not only onboarding people, but trying to teach a new industry to somebody. Like in our world, yeah. we would have a lot of new higher training classes. You know, people go and there's 20 people learning something. Yeah. It kind of went away. So when somebody has a skill okay. set, now have become so much more in demand.
0: Okay. You know what? Because I, I neglected to ask earlier because there's so, as you know, there's so many people out there who are in industries that fell apart and just want to try to transition over. But that's the catch-22. A lot of the companies want plug and play someone who knows it and could just start right away.
1: <laughs> this is also where the intangibles come into play, right? Ambition drive, hunger. You have to have that in you and or convey that to somebody because they will hire for those. They can teach everything else. You can't
0: teach that. Either
1: you have that work ethic and drive or okay. you don't. That's good to
0: know. So even if you don't have, if you have those attributes, but maybe have some, some kind of you know things that are relevant, then maybe it's worth a shot, whether it's with with you guys or somewhere else to kind of give it a shot. Okay.
1: If you're a dog, you will be dead. <laughs>
0: there you go. All right, friend. Well, thank you so much. It was great speaking to you, my friend. Thanks, Jack. Oh, my pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the WeCruiter podcast. If you want to check out other great content from WeCruiter, make sure to visit us at WeCruiter.io. That's W-E-C-R-U-I-C-R dot I-O. We offer tons of great resources for job seekers and professionals So make sure to check us out today.